0: The teachings of General Conference are the considerations the Lord would have before us now and in the months ahead. Our marching
1: orders for each six months are found in the General Conference addresses. For the next
0: six months, your conference edition of the Ensign should stand next to your standard works and be referred to frequently.
1: I encourage you to read the talks once again
0: and to ponder the messages contained therein. I exhort you to study the messages of this conference frequently, even repeatedly, during the next six months.
1: You're listening to the Conference Talk Podcast, where it's conference weekend every weekend. Each weekend on this show, we discuss talks from the most recent General Conference of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We'll share some insights, make some connections, and hopefully have a bit of fun. I'm your host, Matthew Watkins, and today we are going to be discussing Elder Eddie's address. The Virtue of the Word. But before we get on to there, I want to announce we have a special guest here. We are joined by Sean Rapier. He is the host of the former but still up Latter-day Lives podcast. If you have not had a chance to go listen to some of those episodes, those are absolutely fantastic. They are very, very inspiring and also very, very fun. He interviews some great people. It's right up there with in my top podcast feed right next to All In and some of the other heavy-hitting uh, church-related podcasts.
0: Matthew, thank you. Wow, that was a big intro to uh, live up to. But yes, thank you. I'm so glad to be here. You know, it's funny, after we recorded last time, I watched conference with, in my mind, going, which talk could we talk about? Because I know that your guests are quick to jump on and claim claim uh, their talks. and. Brad
1: McBride texted me during the session, so yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I did tell my wife, I said, I don't know if I'm going to be invited back, but just in case, I am going to be ready for it. So super excited to talk about this talk and glad to be back. Thanks for having me. So we're going to be talking about Elder
1: Eddie's talk. Now you have a little bit of uh, history with Elder Eddie. First, I'm going to go ahead and read. For those who've not actually seen, the church has bios Which I only discovered recently of all of the general authorities, even the 70s, Relief Society Presidency, Young Men Presidency, Presiding Bishopric, you name it. Elder Mark D. Eddy was sustained as a general authority, 70, of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints on April 2nd of this year, 2022, at age 49. At the time of his call, he had been serving as a member of the 12th Quorum of the 70 in Utah. Okay, so how many quorums of the 70 are there?
0: That's a good question. I don't know. Man, I have no idea. I think it's in flux all the time, right? <laughs> I, I think, yeah, I think it kind of does, does. it grow and shrink? That's something we should find out. Well, I mean, the church hasn't shrunk, so I doubt it's shrinking very much, but at least growing, right? So, there's at
1: least 12 because he was in one <laughs> in the 12th quorum of the 70. Right. He has served in various church colonies, including full-time missionary in the Dominican Republic, Santo Domingo East Mission, counselor in a bishopric, Ward Young Men President, Bishop, High Counselor, Counselor in a Stake Presidency, President of the Uruguay Montevideo Mission from 2016 to 2019. So, pretty recently released uh, Mission President there. And Area 70, he received a Bachelor of Arts in Communications in 1996 from BYU. 2001, he received a, I guess it's Juris Doctor. That'd be Doctor of the Law, I guess. Yeah, Juris Doctorate, a JD. Law degree. Yep. From BYU. He's since worked as an attorney, attorney and a business executive. He was born in Long Beach, California, on March 30th, 1973. He married Annette Allen in 1994, and they are the parents of six children.
0: Part of why I chose this talk is my personal relationship with Elder Eddie, and he's someone I respect very much, and I'm grateful to call a good friend. Uh, but also, I'll, I'll tell you something interesting about this talk. I so I spoke in church yesterday. Um, as part of my high council calling and when I speak, I tend to open up with some type of personal experience. So you're a good high council speaker. And I don't know about that because this is the interesting thing. And then I tend to close with a big personal experience to drive it home and usually end up crying. And I spoke with a member of the, uh, stake relief society presidency yesterday, She gave the most beautiful talk, and it was pretty much all uh, doctrinal or doctrinal. Um, You know, she talked a little bit about her grandmother, but the thrust of it was really doctrine, and I'm not like that. I could never write this talk that Elder Eddie wrote, but it doesn't surprise me knowing him that he wrote this, because you realize as I've been studying this again, and everyone gives talks differently. But there are no personal experiences in this. This is get out the doctrine fire hose and start just putting out the fire. It's so powerful. There is so much doctrine. And for the listener, I'd recommend revisiting this multiple times because each time I have listened to it or read it, I just feel this. I learned something new. Which is funny because part of his talk is that as you read the word of God, you will learn something new. And so I thought that was really cool. But the background, I tend to like the stories and everything because it's easier for me to process. It's easier for me to digest as well. It does make it uh, more memorable, but at the same time, I need a deeper understanding, (laughs) I guess. Anyway, I was just, I was just very, very grateful for this talk and yet he makes it so accessible as well. And so I just I just think it's super cool. But, uh, and by the way, I think I mentioned this on the last the last time we recorded, but my favorite, you know you're, I don't know if you're supposed to have favorites or not, but the, the talk I always look forward to is President Iring. And there is something about his stories and the way he weaves his stories in with Doctrine. But somehow, every time he talks about being a child, then he talks about his mom, and then his mom calling him Hal makes me cry every time. He says, you know, he always just, my mom looked over and she said, Hal, forget it. I start crying. So Mark Eddy, Elder Eddy, is my neighbor and lives about a a four-minute walk from my house. We were in the same ward for a long time. They built a home here uh, in a housing development just up the street from ours. And uh, there's like a big park between us, and that's about it. So we were in the same ward for years. And he was in the young men's presidency with uh, my young men. My boys were in with him. and uh, And then he was in our bishopric, and he was called from being a member of the bishopric to being a member of our stake presidency. And then was released to become a mission president. And uh, then came back and served, uh, I think, in the primary just for a short time.
1: You get those missionaries in a shape, you can handle the four-year-olds, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And anyway, he he is an amazing man. And when he was called uh, to be an authority, um, a member of the 70, not one of us, was remotely surprised funny enough the ward that he's in is the same ward as our stake president and uh the bishop of that ward is a really good friend of mine he and i were just kind of catching up and talking and i mentioned that i said so you've got the stake president and elder eddie both in your ward and he said yeah basically what that comes down to i rarely preside at my own sacrament meetings
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Every week you're being audited, yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, pretty much so. Um, but that's part of why I chose this, because I have a personal kinship to him, and I I love this talk. And I want to start off with a question for you. Did you. Had you heard this phrase, the virtue of the word, before? Was that a phrase that was familiar to you?
1: Yes, because of the scripture he cites, Alma 31.5.
0: That had never jumped out to me. I had never thought of that in that lexicon. Uh, but I that that was just interesting to me. I actually looked up the word virtue. Is that the most Latter-day Saint thing to go to the dictionary? <laughs> but I really wanted to understand what, what he was saying. So just to kind of set the, the stage, I read a ton of definitions of the word virtue. And the one that really stood out to me was moral excellence and righteousness. And when you put it in those words, the moral excellence and righteousness of the word, and then when you realize that word is another word also for Christ, now it's the moral excellence and righteousness of Christ. It blew my mind, Matthew. I was like, whoa, this is big, just deep and heavy and beautiful. So...
1: We're always told every talk is supposed to eventually tie back and be about the Savior, right?
0: Yeah. I thought that was neat that it worked on so many levels. I thought it was really cool.
1: And the other definition for virtue that that came through to me in this talk particular was the same uses of virtue that you hear when you, the woman with the issue of blood reached out and touched the Savior's, the hem of his robes, right? He says, virtue's gone out of me. And it doesn't mean I'm less righteous, that's that's not the particular use of TVs he means power has gone out of me. And that's important for me. I run a blog called Power in the Book of Mormon. So I resonate a lot to the, to this particular talk as 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 we'll see because the scriptures are so so powerful.
0: Awesome. Very very cool.
1: And he starts with with Alma 31:5 and this is where I think I'm going to get on my Book of Mormon history lesson for a little bit. The Nephites are in this very precarious situation in Alma 31 that they have a sizable chunk of their people who are strongly considering basically going and defecting over to the Lamanites. This is a huge national security issue. (laughs) Alma's the prophet, and he decides to get involved. He's not the president anymore, right? But he's he's still got authority over the people in a sense. And so, he's trying to figure out what to do. And Elder Eddy says, it may seem surprising, but he decides to go and preach to them. And he quotes Alma 31.5 that says, And now as the preaching of the word had a great tendency to lead the people to do that which was just, yea, it had a more powerful impact upon the minds of the people than the sword or anything else which which had happened unto them. Therefore Alma thought it was expedient that they should try the virtue of the word of God. Wow. Now the result of this, we see the conversion of a good chunk of the Zoramites, right? And that's awesome. Personal conversion. I'm going to jump off that and go down a little slightly different rabbit trail and just think about the political military situation for a moment. This gave the Nephites a significant military advantage in the wars that were about to come. The Zoramites were going to defect to the Lamanites anyway and stir them up and lead through all the war chapters that we know and love from Alma or some of us love. This was a huge military advantage to basically carve away all those converts that would have been part of that defecting group. And now they are righteous Nephites ready to defend the country. This principle of using the Book of Mormon, or sorry, using the preaching of the word to accomplish these dramatic historical shifts is huge. If we go back a few chapters and you think about the sons of Mosiah, right? Ammon and his brothers. Here we have another situation. The Lamanites are all wicked. Like, we really want to go preach to them. The success that they had is amazing. They converted several Nephite, sorry, Lamanite lands. And that force was enough of the Lamanites that it was to be reckoned with. And the rest of the people were upset that the new king of the Lamanites was a member of this new church. And they were forming a new national identity and they're starting to have relationships with the Nephites and free trade and everything like that. They come and they martyr a whole bunch of them. And then more Lamanites that were doing the killing than had been killed ended up joining the church and becoming righteous and laying down their weapons as well. And then, of course, that huge group went and joined the Nephites to carve away this massive chunk of the Lamanite forces, turn them into Nephite supporters. They then are supporting the army with their land and their foods and their provisions and everything. And then their sons of Helaman were a major force in saving the Nephite nation from utter destruction. And then the thousands of prisoners of war that the Nephites captured of the Lamanites, they were staying in Nephite strongholds. They were working. You know, probably maybe for the first time in their lives, right? Perhaps. (laughs) 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 Right. One thing that Bookmore tells us, Lamanites are kind of lazy. So they're working, they're getting a taste of that, they're getting to know the people of Ammon, and they want to stay. And so it's just every time you bring in the word of God, you're carving away the actual military might of your adversary. Fast forward a few years, Moroni's war is all done, his son's in charge, Lamanites are coming again. He tries all the tactics of his father, right? He's building the ditches. He's putting up the walls and the pickets and all that stuff. And it's not working. The reason it's not working is the Nephites aren't righteous. They lose all their lands. They finally repent and they're able to get half of their lands back. Imagine half of the United States in the possession of the Taliban or something. I mean, this this is bad news, but they just do not have the might to actually contend with the Lamanites. So what happens? They bring out the big guns. Nephi and Lehi, the missionaries, they go into the Lamanites, they preach to them, convert the entire place, and then the Lamanites give them back all the lands that they had taken. And now for the first time in Book of Mormon history, you have peace between the Nephites and the Lamanites and free trade and everyone's getting rich and prosperous and an open economy. It's great. Fast forward a few more years, you've got problems with the Gadiant and robbers in both the righteous Lamanites and the now wicked Nephites. And it says in Helaman 6, when it came to pass, the Lamanites found there were robbers among them. They were exceedingly sorrowful and they did use every means in their power to destroy them off the face of the earth. That is a war on terror that is absolute I mean, they are hardcore. And then it says, what did they do to destroy them off the face of the earth? The Lamanites did hunt the band of robbers of Gadian, and they did preach the word of God among the more wicked part of them. Insomuch this, that this band of robbers was utterly destroyed from among the Lamanites. Hmm. they didn't go out with swords yeah. they didn't go out and hunt them and, uh, they hunted them yes and then they preached to them and it says and they were utterly destroyed now i like to imagine you know, an indiana jones style destruction your know, their faces melting or something <laughs> i don't know i don't know what this destruction means hopefully it meant that you know the gadians repented and they were no longer gadians anymore then just a few years later having trouble with the gadiant robbers again the big war and everything like that the nephites finally repent they capture all the Gadiant robbers. And it says in 3 Nephi 5, they did put an end to all those wicked and secret and abominable combinations in which there was so much wickedness and so many murders committed. How did they do it? It says they had taken all the robbers prisoner, so far so good, and did cause the word of God to be preached unto them. These huge, dramatic military effects all throughout the Book of Mormon that changed the course of history and nations just by preaching the word of God. That is one of the big themes that jumped out at me at the Book of Mormon as I was reading. And I was so glad that Elder Eddie brought that in. Alma 31.5, 31-5, the virtue of the Word of God. It is a serious, serious thing, and it can accomplish so much good. I almost wonder, like, hey, you know, if we're having all these problems with rushing your can, just send all of our elders over there.
0: We'll take care of it, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, and you see it, and then, I mean, to take it to its natural conclusion, which, by the way, that was a master class at pointing all these things out. That's my Book of Mormon geek out for the week. Oh, I love it. No, I love it. Take it to its natural conclusion. What finally ends the Book of Mormon is people being completely unwilling to hear the Word of God. Yeah, I mean that that's what is the final demise of the people of the Book of Mormon, you know? And and it's funny because it's very much, you know, akin to where we are in a lot of ways in the world where it's like hey, my life's miserable, it's a mess, you know, who's got tips for, you know, how I can make my life better? I need a life hack. And it's like, oh, get up 20 minutes earlier. Yeah, okay, I'm in and, you know, uh, more sunlight. Okay, great. And hey, cut out processed foods. Terrific. Hey, you should try reading scripture. "Ah, I'm good. I'm all right. I'm okay. You know, people are looking for something other than what is most simple, plain and powerful right in front of them. And it's part of why I love Elder Eddie's talk. Just love it. And Alma
1: 37, it tells us why. Alma tells his sons, don't be, what was it discouraged? Or don't be put off because of the easiness of Ease the way. Ease of the way, yeah. Right, we think of Naaman, the leper. What, you want me to just go bathe in the river? If you gave me something grand and awesome, I'd go do that. But you tell me to do something simple like get in the water, read my scripture, say my prayers, that's silly talk.
0: It's been really disappointing, you know, we all feel powerless when there are these horrible incidents of like mass shootings and things. And, you know, we feel like there's nothing else we can do. Two, two sides of a, the same coin. One is people who say thoughts and prayers, but put very little thought into it and don't actually pray about it. So, you know, thoughts and fra- prayers on Facebook, I am pretty sure that Facebook becomes a Ramyumptum into you know just saying oh but i but i typed thoughts and prayers and then i i hit enter uh, god should see that right i'm a christian so god should see that it takes actual thought it takes actual prayer and then the flip side of that coin are the people going and i better not hear thoughts and prayers your thoughts and prayers are worthless well no we need to harness the power of those prayers and not necessarily at the negation of law or whatever else you're looking for. However, don't diminish that power. And I think that happens to the word of God too, you know, and we'll quote something powerful and people will say, oh, but I'm not a Christian. Oh, okay, well then that must completely take out the power of what I just said. You know, whereas if I were to say, you know, hey, this thought leader said this, oh, that's very deep, very profound. But because they don't believe in the fountain itself, they don't want to drink and i think we as latter day saints and we as christians writ large the virtue of the word of god and again to your point and and to the definition that that i like for this you know the the goodness the moral excellence the the power of the word of god i love what you shared on alma 31 he jumps from 31 to 34 and talks about how the power of god goes to alma 34 people always laugh because often you'll get in those discussions as to who do you really love in the book of mormon i am so fascinated with amulek so many people are born out of dramatic things lehi take your family and go nephi your brothers are beating you up alma the younger you're paralyzed you can't speak you know you look at all these things abinadi you're you know you're going to be you know killed and and these circumstances are all so crazy. And then when you look at Amulek, he seems to be this dude who kind of had it all together, <laughs> had it going on. We know we don't know much about him, but we know he was a man of means. But it's like Alma shows up and just says, you know, hey, uh this is the gospel, like this is the stuff. And he goes, Yeah. Yeah, all right, yeah, good, let's go. You know what I mean? There's not that dramatic impetus that starts Amulek that you can see in almost all of the other prophets of the Book of Mormon. So.
1: I mean, he did see an angel that kind of told him, Hey, there's a prophet, go get him. But it wasn't
0: fair point. Yeah. Seeing an angel is dramatic. However, he could have easily said even to the angel, I'm good. I got money. I got a nice house. I'm a respected member of my, you know, there wasn't like that same Alma, the younger it was repent or die. Mm-hmm. You're paralyzed. You're laying in the gutter. Repent or die. Lehi, move or be destroyed. You know what I mean? Like there was sort of this and Amulek, it was it was just go out, you're called of God, go out and find Alma and preach. Well,
1: it wasn't even preach at first, it was just give him some food.
0: Yeah. And I mean it just how cool is Amulek. So anyway, I love that I just love all those chapters with with Alma and Amulek. Um, one of my favorite verses being when Amulek asks Alma, "Are we about to die?" And uh, Alma says, "Perhaps." Amulek says, "Perhaps they will burn us also." I mean, they were burning people alive, and and Amulek says, "Very like boldly, perhaps they burn us too." He doesn't say doesn't say that he says it out of fear or anything. He just says, "You know what? They might burn us too." Then Alma says to me, What is the toughest line in the Book of Mormon? And I mean tough like macho tough, which is, yeah, perhaps, but our work's not done, so they're not going to burn us. (laughs) I love that verse.
1: The reason that verse means a lot to me is Amulek is talking a lot about how having Alma in his home had blessed his family. Right? He even testifies. He says, He's been a blessing to my father. He's been a blessing to my family. Just a few verses later when Ammonihah decides to reject them and, and martyr the people, it mentions that Amulek was rejected by his father and his friends. Mm. And I wonder if the believing members of Alma's family were some of those who were martyred. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Putting myself in that situation, I would almost be hopeful. I really hope they just burn us too. Like, I want to go be with my wife that I just watched die. Interesting. I, I wonder. I mean, after that whole scenario with Ammonihah where Amulek gave everything, and perhaps even his family. They they did a brief ministry in Sidon, healed Zeezrom. And then it says, Alma took Amulek into his own house and ministered to him. That That is one of the most beautiful scriptures in the Book of Mormon for me.
0: Well, and this brings it right back to Elder Eddie's talk, which is the virtue of the Word of God. Amulek, to me, is the ultimate example of it. I mean, that is the, go find this man, learn learn my word, feed him. He's my prophet. You are to take care of him. And then his entire life is changed by the word of God, not by Alma. You know, we, we, we hear about, uh, and I saw it on my mission, people who were converted to a missionary. And we had to be careful of that. You know, we loved so many of our investigators, but it co- I could see that happening where it's like, oh, I feel good because you're this funny missionary. and You're fun. You come into our home. You pay attention to us. Oh, I love the congregation. I love, oh, family. I love the general message. I'm converted to things in the church as opposed to the virtue of the word of God, which is what saves and which is what strengthens and which is what purifies. I just thought it was really cool. I love when he points out the three things the word of God does. But I think that the biggest thing to me is that the word of God is quick and powerful. It divides asunder all the words of the devil. That is really powerful. Um, I pondered as I was studying for this, I pondered the word asunder. And the word asunder really means absolutely split in half. Like, you know, asunder is torn asunder is when you split logs. You know, I do, I do competition barbecue. I have a whole bunch of smokers, so I spend a lot of time chopping wood outside. And when you take an axe and you split a log down the middle, both sides go flying and there's nothing left. That's dividing a log asunder, that the word of God divides asunder the words of the devil. And in a time when there are so many mixed messages in the world, the fact that the the Book of Mormon specifically, but also all the words of God have the power to take these these trying words, uh, these confusing words of the devil and divide asunder. I had a, an interesting experience at church a week ago um, that we had a, an incredible talk. We have a, a couple that I didn't know. They moved into the ward. And I saw a a friend of mine on social media who is struggling with the church right now and he made this proclamation that that i had to spend some time thinking about he said i have decided that if i ever have to choose between the church and my friends that i would choose my friends i would choose people if the church is going to make me choose and i had to stop and i had to think you know and i don't engage in social media a lot. I, I don't find it to be a particularly useful platform for that type of thing. It's the place to share barbecue pictures. Except for my barbecue pictures. I like posting barbecue pictures. I
1: love seeing your barbecue pictures.
0: <laughs> Except on Fast
1: Sunday. I do not look at your Facebook page <laughs> on Fast Sunday. Hey,
0: I have to cook on Fast Sundays. I have to watch That's my good. smoker go all day long until we can break the fast. <laughs> but um, I sat pondering going, what Like, it, what does he mean? Like, At what point? Is the church going to ask us to, you know, turn away from our friend? Like, how do we, when would we have to choose between our friends? Because I don't think he's saying choose between what our friends believe. At what point would that happen? And I, I had that on my mind, like trying to think, what did he really mean by that? And last week, the speaker said, quoting scripture, said, There's a reason that the first commandment is the first and the second is the second. And when we get those out of order, we run into problems. And to me, this goes back to what dividing asunder means, the words of the devil. The words of the devil are, put your friends first. Hey, the church is great as long as it's great, but if it offends your friends, go to your friends. And now it's getting confusing in my mind cuz my commandment is to love my friends. And my commandment is I've got to take care of them and love one another and all these messages and oh no. But if I go back to the virtue of the word of God and the ability for it to divide asunder, she said the 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 speaker last week she she said those words and all of a sudden I went, "Oh my gosh, that's what's happening." Is that he's confusing. And 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 it doesn't say just love the Lord thy God, love thy friends, in chronological order. It says these are the first two great commandments. First being, first, meaning go to this one first. Secondly, go to this one. And if you put these things in order, you don't have that. You would never think that. That would never come to mind that you would have to say that because they're in order. So it's always going to be okay. That to me is the virtue of the word of God is those little things that are such clarifiers and all of a sudden all this mist of confusion divided asunder and everything's clear again. And there's redundancy built into that.
1: Yeah. Right. So you could say, and I do that if you love your friends, you will love them the way that prophets love the people, right? They bring them to Christ. Yes. Right. They don't, they don't make their friendship conditional. It's not like they love them any less, whether they listen or not. It is that because I love you, I want you to experience all the blessings that eternity has to offer as much as you are ready for. And because I love you, I cannot compromise on principles that I know to be true, right? Because I love you. And so it's it's Satan's great switch to try and convince us that like advocacy for sin is love, as Elder Holland talked about. However, even if you don't understand that principle, even if you decide, okay, well, I am going to conflate love and advocacy and they are the same thing, then there's redundancy in the word of God. You have a second witness saying, okay, well, even if you say that that is loving others, this commandment does come first. And so all yeah. throughout the scriptures, they reinforce and support each other. You can't, you know, it it, it is like an ax. It can split things. It can't really be split.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's just beautiful that it's that clarifying. And boy, do we need that? You know, we're, I work with YSAs in my calling and I see so many of them confused And you know what? If you spend seven hours a day on TikTok and 10 minutes a day on the Book of Mormon, you're going to be confused. I'm sorry your ratios are wrong. You know? I mean, honestly, like I always laugh. If you ever go, (laughs) this might be a terrible example. If you ever go to the grocery store and buy prepackaged pulled pork, what you will find is that it is 70% barbecue sauce and 30% pork. And you're basically having pulled pork soup. And someone who tries that might go, you know what? Pulled pork isn't amazing. It's really not that great. I don't understand what everybody's talking about. When you make pulled pork and you spend all the time on the pork, and you spend 10 hours smoking a pork shoulder and then resting it for more than an hour and then shredding it and shredding its juices back. You go through all that. Then you add that little bit of barbecue sauce, which is really nice but not even totally necessary, now you're having pulled pork. (laughs) But I see this a lot, especially in YSAs, where they're going, why am I confused? Why is the fire that I felt on my mission dimming? Why am I confused about, I feel this compassion and advocacy, as you said. Where is the ratio? I mean, it's not like, there are times where a single scripture or a single word of God can powerfully hit us, but more likely, and especially in the long run, we have to have it be the mainstay, the main part of our diet has to be this word of God in order for the virtue to come through.
1: I think, of, I think it was Elder Scott, um, after he was released as a, as a mission president and called to be a general authority, one of his old missionaries came to him, said, I'm losing my testimony. And I don't know what to do. And he said, uh, well, well, what are you doing? Well, I'm reading all the anti, of course. Okay, well, how about this? You spend equal time in the scriptures. I'm not even asking you to stop reading the anti. Just spend equal time in the scriptures. Equal time. And we will talk about this again in a month, right? And so, a month later, the guy didn't show up for his appointment. And he called me and says, uh, you missed your point.' He says, oh, no, I'm good. My, my testimony is solid. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> I, I don't remember. I, it probably wasn't Elder Scott. I think it was, though. We'll have to check.
0: Yeah, I do remember that talk though of him coming back and saying, "I'm good." I had a an interesting experience that I uh, there was a book, and I won't uh, I won't say the name of it, but I it was a book. It was a a true story about uh, some some members of the church and and uh, who had kind of gone astray. And it was it's a crazy book. I read it and I absolutely loved it. Thought it was so fascinating, and I was very much able, as I was reading it, to see, oh, here's where they lost their way. Oh, well, that was stupid, you know, but it was fascinating (laughs) to me. And uh, a good friend of mine who left the church quite some time ago and actually has done anti-church ads and, you know, has been a part of that, but he's a dear, dear friend of mine. Um, Somehow, when he and I were talking, I mentioned how much I love that book and how I'd like to read it again. It was so good. And he said, oh, uh, I'm really impressed, Sean, that's really progressive of you because so many people are shooting that book down and, you know, people are saying, don't read it. It's only, you know, anti, I didn't find it anti-church at all. I found it a clarion call as to why to stay close to the gospel, because this is what can happen. And he said, so you read all those things and none of it shook up your testimony. And I was so dumbfounded by that. Now, part of that is I am not a very intelligent guy where <laughs> like I'm, I'm not a deep thinker. But then the other part of it was like, well, yeah, I really enjoyed, like, I listened to it as an audiobook and and I enjoyed listening to it, but it didn't supplant my daily deep dive scripture study. I didn't go to that book looking for answers. I looked for it to be entertained and to see what general life lessons, you know, much the same way that, you know, when I uh, read Les Miserables, I get a lot out of it you know, it's, it's not, I'm not looking for the gospel there. The gospel, the word of God, the virtue of the word of God is contained in the scriptures. It's contained in conference talks. I know the fountain, you know, I, I mean, trust me, I enjoy a Pepsi as much as anyone else, but I don't go, man, am I thirsty? I need a Pepsi. No, I go to water <laughs> and I know the fountain. I know what I drink. And if my ratios are off, I am going to be thirsty. And that's what put things, puts things out of whack. Um, Elder Eddy, this jumped out to me. Elder Eddy says it's the most effective instrument bringing souls unto Christ. Most effective. And I think that you illustrated that beautifully at the beginning.
1: Well, he's quoting uh, Preach My Gospel, chapter five. Yeah. Where in Preach My Gospel, it tells missionaries, the book of Mormon combined with the spirit is your most powerful powerful resource and conversion that really jumped out at me as well because we have um we have some non-member neighbors that have expressed interest in coming with us to church and you know we met them at soccer and they've been to church a few times and it's it's really interesting and i'm back in mission where it's like it's that dance okay this is great that they're getting to know the members and they're seeing the culture and they came to trunk retreat at what point do we bring up the restoration well ideally as soon as possible and right now um that that particular friend is struggling with some aspects of church culture and, and she's got her own set of issues and everything. And I'm looking at it and this talk jumped out at me. Like I have not introduced the book of Mormon fast enough. The answer to her questions about racial issues and all this other stuff is not going to be, you know, sending her just, Oh, look at this uplifting BYU devotional. Oh, look where it says root out racism as important and wonderful. Those things are what she needs is the power of the book of Mormon in her life to yeah. cut through a lot of that stuff. So, continuing on the, the thought of the power in the Book of Mormon, he quotes President Nelson. And this, this quote jumped out at me. It was a little bit of call to repentance and also just, I'm not exactly sure how entirely to take it. Um, President Nelson said, I promise that as you prayerfully study the Book of Mormon every day, and that's italicized, every day. Every day. You will make better decisions every day. I promise that as you ponder what you study, the windows of heaven will open and you will receive answers to your own questions and directions for your own life. I promise that as you daily immerse yourself in the Book of Mormon, you can be immunized against the evils of the day. That every day, every day, daily. And I'm thinking, but this year we're doing Old Testament and come follow me. Now, how how do you look at that? Do you say, okay, on the mission, it was, yeah, we had a policy. We read the Book of Mormon every single day. Other stuff as well, perhaps, but the Book of Mormon was the core of what we studied. is that is that does that seem to be what President Nelson and then quoting elder or elder Eddie quoting him, is saying that hey, regardless of what the Come follow me curriculum is, we need to get a daily fix of the Book of Mormon is what that seems to be saying to me?
0: yeah, it's you know what we've we've had my wife and I've had discussions about that, you know is is how do you balance it out? you know it's it's nice to have the luxury of being a full-time missionary. I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know I have a lot going on. I because the curriculum changes, I have I have sort of two tracks that I go on in my in my gospel study. It's a morning and an evening. I listen to a chapter in the Book of Mormon every morning. And as I listen to it, I pick out one to two themes that jump out at me and then I ponder. I go for That's a walk awesome. or I go to the gym every morning. And so that's my, my thing is, is that's what I do every single morning. And you know, it's funny because some days I'll listen to two or three chapters. Um, but I find that the pondering is what gets me the most is I'll like, I'll choose something and sometimes I'll go back 15 seconds, listen again, or I'll write down the words to it and I'll really try to understand what, what do those words mean? And how does that apply? And why would he say that? Why was that included in the book? And how am I not doing that? And so I'll really try to ponder that in the morning. I also listen to one conference talk every morning from the previous conference and try to tie that back in. I do that every single morning. And then I tend to do my other studies in the evening as a separate study. To me, that the evening is study. The morning is I brush my teeth. I shower. I listen to the Book of Mormon. I ponder, I listen to a conference talk. It's baked in the cake. The rest is variable as to how much, and it really depends on my week and how much time I have and how many other things I have going on. The Book of Mormon is non-negotiable. That to me is not, and I have it baked so in the cake as a habit that it doesn't matter what happens. It just happens for me. Like It's such a habit now. The other part of it, I work in, I figure it out. It's it's different. And that to me is my foundation. How about you?
1: Well, I was going to say the fact that the Book of Mormon is a non-negotiable for you, I might have an answer for your friend about why nothing bothers you. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, that is, it true. is it is so powerful. Yeah. it it, re, it really is. There is, every time I go to the Book of Mormon, I am surprised and I missed it. I remember when I was a teenager, I felt bad that I hadn't read the Old Testament all the way through. And so I made that my goal, and my exclusive thing. I'm going to power my way through the Old Testament. And so for about a month, I was just chapter after chapter, just churning through it, churning through it, churning through it. And my life was different and not necessarily in a good way. One day I lost my Bible. Yes, this was back before we had the digital. My Bible was just missing in my room. I was too lazy to find it. So I pulled out the Book of Mormon and I started, oh, well, I'll fall back and I'll just read that. Just a few verses for the Book of Mormon, and I could tell the difference. I could tell what was missing from my life. And that's not a knock against the Old Testament. I tried to describe it later in my family. I said, it's like like jinking the concentrated stuff, you know? Like, the Old Testament's great, and I'm extracting little nuggets here and there. But it's just not as straightforward. It doesn't divide quite as asunder. It doesn't – it's not as clear. Yeah. And over time, I have just gained this renewed appreciation for how clear and direct and powerful and concentrated, the Book of Mormon is even when compared with scriptures that we venerate, like the Old Testament.
0: We, we, um, I used to teach uh, Sunday school to fourteen-year-olds, and I gave them the goal to get the whole class. I said we'd have a party when the whole class reads one verse out of the Book of Mormon every day for a full week. That's such a good goal. Took us about three months. Uh, to get there, and then we had a party. But I just said, guys, I said, the power that you get out of that one verse, the blessings, and, and I'd cite it. I'd say, let me read to you all the things that are promised. Now, the more you study, the better, but read the verse and get used to the verse every day. And I started having 14-year-olds that would just make me cry. So they'd say, I was in bed, and I was just about asleep, and I'd go, ah, I didn't read. <laughs> so I'd open it up and I'd find a short verse. I'd barely get through it. It doesn't matter. You're building. These are the building blocks. And the power in the scriptures gets greater the more we truly study, ponder all those things. And God appreciates effort. And we should not let the grandeur of scripture daunt us from taking it on in tiny nibbles because God appreciates effort.
1: It's the consistency. Elder Bednar, when he talked about family home evenings, he said, my children can't remember a single <laughs> lesson, but they remember that we did it and that we did it every week. And that's yeah. what mattered.
0: Absolutely. One of my favorite experiences of seeing the virtue of the word of God, uh, I'll share this with from my mission. Um, I was a young missionary. I had only been uh, out in the mission for a couple of months. I served in Chile. In the southern tip of Chile, and I was on a little island called uh, Chiloé, and tiny little island. And we were uh, we were so exasperated that we stood on a street corner one day, just asking people if we could talk to them. One guy said, "I can't talk right now, but here's my address. Come find me." And so we went down uh, into and and Chile. In most parts of it, is a poor country. Chiloé is a specifically. Poor island. And then the area we were in was really poor for Chilliway. Um It was just a bunch of almost like RV type trailers in mud. And we went up, we couldn't find the address. And so we knocked. I barely spoke Spanish, but we knocked at this door. And a young lady came to the door. She was 18 years old. And we said, Hey, we're looking for this address. And she said, There's no address like that here. And my companion and she started kind of laughing at us. They said, yeah, he gave you a fake address. She knew who we were. And my companion said, can we come in and teach you? And she said, no, I'm, I'm, you know, this other faith and I'm always going to be this other faith. It's never going to change. And he said, but we'd, we'd love to, we'd love to share, you know, a message about the savior with you. And she said, yeah, come on in. So we went in. Um, I taught one of, this was, I'm so old that we still had the six discussions and we had to memorize the principles. You know, I didn't have, uh, you know, the the luxuries that the missionaries have now. But uh, anyway, I, I remember I taught a principle and she looked at my companion and said, I did not understand a single word he just said. And <laughs> my companion, who was Chilean, uh, he took over the rest of the discussion. We went back a week later. Hey, have you read the Book of Mormon? She said, I have not. Went back a week later. Have you read the Book of Mormon? I have not. But we kept teaching the discussions. We challenged her to be baptized. No, I'm not going to be baptized. I changed companions to another Chilean companion. Um, and we kept going back and we kept teaching her and she just would not progress. And it was because she was not studying the Book of Mormon. And we went back one time and said, uh, so how have you been? And she said, Mm -hmm. I read the Book of Mormon. And we said, well, what do you mean? She said, I'm in Mosiah. And we said, Jasnah, that's that's amazing. And that's wonderful. And she said, no, the Book of Mormon's not true. She says, soon as Nephi was commanded to cut Laban's head off, I knew there's no way God would have commanded that. And that led to a discussion. And then we started talking about how do you feel otherwise? And I said, Jasnah, you're in Mosiah. <laughs> like, you know, this This happens pretty f- pretty early in first Nephi. So for someone who doesn't believe in this book, you sure have trekked through it.
1: Yeah. You made it through second Nephi. You're more dedicated than most members. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, she brought that up too. She said, why does he quote Isaiah so much? And She was really into it. And we came back a few more times and she read the entire book of Mormon. And she said, elders, I need to be baptized. This book is so true. This gospel is so true. I I have to be baptized. And the conversion didn't happen while we were there. You know, I talk about the missionary conversions and she had not started really going to church because she lived with her father. Her mother had passed away and her father, she knew, would not be happy about this. So things were in the right order. She gained her testimony. It was baked into the Book of Mormon um, and into the, the gospel Then we started taking her to church, and she said, you know, I'm ready to get baptized. Uh, We showed up one day, and she was just sobbing. We showed up for our appointment, and we said, what's happening? And she said, I told my dad I'm getting baptized. And uh, he threw my Book of Mormon in the uh, fire, told me that if I was going to get baptized, that I would have to move out, and that I was becoming a child of the devil. And that if I got baptized, he would never speak to me again. And her baptism was that Saturday. And I said, Jasnah, we'll put it off for now. We've got to fix things at home. And she said, Elders, the gospel's true. I'm getting baptized. Like, I, I don't know what to say, but nothing's changed. I am getting baptized. That Saturday, uh, we were up at the church and she came walking up the street Normally they have a little satchel or duffel bag or something with a change of clothes. She had a big old suitcase with her and she was crying and I said, What's happening? And she said, My dad threw me out. I told him I was going to get baptized. He said, Take everything you own with you. I will never speak to you again as long as you live. And I said, Jasna, we, we're not doing this baptism today. We're we're okay. And she said, Elder Rapier, the gospel's true. I'm getting baptized today. Let's go. We'll figure out the rest. I went into the waters and I baptized her that day, and these poor people in this branch put together enough money to put her on a bus to go stay with her uncle and Of course, we had no email, we had no cell phones. we had nothing. I knew I would never hear from her ever again. And I changed companions yet again. Actually, I think I changed companions right before she got baptized, but but three weeks later, we were walking down the street, and there she was walking down the street. And I ran across the street. I hugged her, which I wasn't supposed to do, but I did. And I don't regret it. And I just said, oh, Jasna, I said, what are you doing here? She goes, I knew. She goes, I just got here a half hour ago. I knew I was going to see you guys. And I said, what's happening? And she said, uh, "She said I went and moved in with my uncle in, down in Kajon. And uh, my father called uh, a couple of days ago crying and said, I miss you so much. I love you. You need to leave this church and, and you know, and then you can come home. And she said, Dad, the gospel of Jesus Christ is true. It doesn't matter. I'm not leaving. And the next day he called and said, come home. She said, I'm coming home as a Mormon. <laughs> At the time, we called ourselves that. She said, I'm coming home as a Mormon. And he said, I know, come home. She came home and uh, later he ended up getting baptized. She married a. A guy who she introduced to the church, he got baptized, their family sealed in the temple, she's been the Relief Society president, she's been the primary president. We didn't know that we'd have it then, but we're great friends on Facebook. We message each other all the time. And uh, they have a little cat, and their cat's name is Rapier. So, oh, uh, that's so cool. Which is wonderful. But things got put in order, and that, to me, Jasnah, is the virtue of the Word of God. It it puts everything else in perspective. Everything in life goes into order when we understand the power of the virtue of the Word of God.
1: That is so perfect, dude. Man, I wish my investigators took
0: that a little bit better.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We're not valuing the Book of Mormon enough. No. I read President Benson's words on it about how the the church is still under the condemnation it feels like it still applies in large measure and I think that story is the perfect place to end that is that is so powerful
0: awesome it's one of my favorite experiences I've ever had
1: thanks for listening to another episode of the conference talk podcast this episode we discussed Elder Eddie's address the virtue of the word If you enjoyed this episode, give us a five-star rating. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and everywhere you get podcasts. You can find links to all our podcast platforms on our website, conferencetalk.org, where you can also follow us on social media, drop us a comment, check out the show notes, find the resources we mentioned in this episode, and there were several of them, or learn about me, your host. If you want to follow me, Matthew Watkins, you can find me at powerinthebook.com. And big thanks to our podcast guest, Sean Rapier, for joining us today. You can follow him on two podcasts. First, the Latter-day Lives podcast, which again, absolutely fantastic, wonderfully inspiring and very fun. And then also the Castle Collective podcast, if you are a Disneyland or a Disney World freak like we are. But while we, always appreci- while we always appreciate new followers, it's better to follow the prophets and apostles themselves. And remember, although we love speaking about the church and our leaders, we do not speak for them. Everything said on this podcast represents our own personal opinions. And we hope you'll tune in next week for some more of those good old personal opinions on the Conference Talk Podcast.